0: Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today, and uh, it's good. I, my family and I were out of town, and so it's we're happy to be back in in our home state. And uh, we were in Texas, which is a great, huge state, and takes you. We drove. We actually drove our family to Fort Worth, Texas, and it's like an eighteen-hour drive. And so, but we'd been wanting to go and spend some time with a a family in particular there that has uh, seven kids, and we've been trying to talk to our kids about what life is like. And why, why it's important to help and serve one another in family life, and how if you lived in an, on an island all by yourself, if you were the castaway on an island, you wouldn't really need to help anybody, You'd need to serve anybody if you're all by yourself. But since most of life is, is communal and relational and family life, so then helping and serving really matters. So we wanted to give them kind of a bigger experience, get them out of their norm. And so we were with this family of seven kids and it was quite fascinating to observe and be part of and just kind of immersed in. And while we were there, that family set up another opportunity for us to visit with a different, uh, family from their church out there. We were, we were going to a conference out there and, but we got to visit a farm while we were there in Texas. Guy owns a 20 acre farm. Um, he built his house himself, barn himself. He raises chickens and, and rabbits. And uh, and he pastors on the side. Actually, he he raises the animals on the side. He's primarily a youth pastor at this church out there. He takes us into his, me and uh, John, one of our staff members here. He takes us into his closet, and I was like, why is he taking us? He wants to show us something in his house and get in his his walk-in closet. You know, so this is odd. So he goes through his walk-in closet. He got his belts, his cowboy hats, probably like his his shoes and stuff, and he's a secret compartment and you opens it up and it's a door leading to the gun closet <laughs> so in Texas, you need a gun closet, I guess. And so, anyway, he had blow dart guns, bows, cross compound bows, rifles, shotguns, handguns, everything. It's like they're ready for the end of the world. And so, um, if there isn't uh, like a crazy invasion or something, and he was totally ready. And anyway, he grabbed a bunch of weapons and, and he took us. He had planned to basically have our kids shoot um, BB guns and bows and arrows and blow dart guns. It's amazing watching a little kid, like a six year old. <coughs> Sorry, learn how to do that. So, well, actually, that's not the way you do it either. There's a way you do it. It's, I think, there you go. So, um, but anyway, I can tell you a lot more about that trip. But I know that's not why you're here. So, but if you want to hear more, I'll be at the back table. Today's Super Bowl. You're aware of this, and I hope uh, I hope that's a good game. I'm not really that concerned with the game today, as far I'll be there watching and eating, and uh, but. Not really, you know, these aren't my teams, and I really don't have a football team, so... Uh, but I do enjoy the experience, and I love playing, f- like, football at halftime in the front yard or wherever I'm at, so... But I don't know if you knew this, but today is actually more than Super Bowl for us. Today is actually our eighth year anniversary as a church. And so, and I realized that as I was driving hours and hours through Texas... You know, my mind's wandering. I realize this is our eighth year anniversary. And so, happy anniversary, OCC. I'm, I'm, it's exciting. I mean, we, seven, eight years ago, we, eight years ago, we, we had our grand opening at Amelia Earhart Middle School. And we've been meeting weekly ever since. We, we transitioned after about eight months of meeting at that middle school to, to this place where we're at. And we've been here for, you know, over seven years in this community center. It's, for some of you, it probably feels like it's been a long time. Because you've seen a lot of life go by and, and you've seen just God really work and, 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 you know, you've gotten to know each other better and there's just been this. So you may look at it and be like, yeah, it feels like it's been a lot longer. Like I feel like I know some of these folks for a lot longer. And then for others, it probably feels like, wow, in a blink of an eye, this, it's been eight years. And so I'm personally very, very grateful for what God has done and how He's continued to, to uh, work in, in, in our church family and help people grow and, and, and respond to Him. I've just, it's it's been a real joy to see people take steps of faith and 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 so thanks for allowing me to serve you all in this capacity. Um, it's an honor. So we are in the in the middle of this series, and just quick catch catch up on where we've been. The first week, we've been and we've been looking at an idea that comes out of Ephesians chapter five, where Paul says to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil because of that, we need to know what the will of the Lord is. And so we're to, we're to live with a certain focus towards time and opportunities and and productivity. And so the first week we looked at, how do you stack up good days? We looked at a psalm where the psalmist tells us what it takes to stack up good day after good day after good day. And it has to, to do with turning away from actions and watching what we say. And then week two, we looked at just defining what is productivity. And, and we, we said that, you know... You can honor God with every aspect of your life. That Even the mundane things of going to work and changing diapers and cutting the lawn and cleaning things up. and That's, that's productive and it's actually very pleasing to the Lord. And we, we showed how we've been created to do that in, in, the, in the Scripture. We looked at some verses in Ephesians again talking about that. And then week three we looked at how people are opportunities that God brings before us. They're not distractions. People are opportunities. So the people in your path are actually of great value and importance to God. Oftentimes we get sidetracked on the tasks that need to be done. But that message was really looking at how important it is to recognize that the people that God brings along our path, are are, He really cares about them. He loves them. And so He wants us to, at points, stop and just engage and, and be used. Last week, Scott, he walked through the idea of how God's grace can actually set us free from trying to perform before God, and that we, we don't actually have to earn God's favor, we don't have to do work in order to be accepted by God, but that we're free because of God's grace to just uh, live in gratitude and have a different focus and flavor of our life. We, we respond and do good works, not because we have to, but because he's provided a way for us to do that, and he's, he's given us the power to change, and so he, he fleshed that out, what, what is grace, how grace really makes, uh, makes a way for us to live differently and be more productive. So we've covered a lot of ground so far, and I hope this has been helpful to you. I want to pray again, and and I'd ask you to pray with me before we head any further. Father, again, we just pause, and and we ask that you'd speak to us. We need to hear from you. We we want to not just hear, but respond, Lord. Help us to be really cooperating with you, and as we even wrestle, Lord, with you this morning, I pray that at the end of the day, we would yield to you, that we'd let you win that match. Lord, I recognize a lot of times when I read your word, and Lord, it becomes a wrestling match very quickly. And um, God, oftentimes, I want to be the winner, but Lord, I know that you um, desire to uh, for us to yield to you. And so, I pray that we would yield this morning to you. So ha- have your way in our lives. Lead us, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you're like me then you, you do want to be a productive person. You, you want to be, and I'm going to assume, we want to be productive people, but so often our quest for productivity gets blocked through circumstances that can feel like storms that just rip through our lives. And so you try to get productive, you try to get focused on some of the things we've been looking at in this series, but then another storm sweeps into your life and threatens the peace, the productivity, and when things begin to unravel, then we begin to really think, "Man, I've got to get a hold of this. I've got to get some traction. I need, I need to get out of the chaos that I'm in." And if if we all had a choice, we would all choose peace over chaos every time. I mean, if God called you up and said, "What kind of day do you want?" You're saying, "Give me a peaceful day, God. Give me a peaceful day." And, and if we if we had that choice, you know. And he said, well, tell me about that peaceful day. We all kind of have a peaceful, happy place we go to in our mind of what, what it would look like. And maybe for you, that happy um, place or moment would be, maybe it's years from now. Maybe you're just like, retirement, that's, that's the happy thing I'm longing for. Or maybe it's a three-day weekend, or maybe it's being alone at a park with nobody around you. Or maybe it's being with friends. For some of you, that's, that's, that's a good day. Just relationally. And it's different for all of us, but we all have that picture of the perfect day, don't we? What, what is yours? Is it getting everything done on your list? Or is it, or maybe for you, it's, it's just, I need to write a list. That would be a good day. If I could just have some focus and some time to, to, to jot down what I ought to be doing. Whatever it is, though, you have really a, a happy kind of place of productivity. And so, for some, and here's some pictures for you. For some, we want this. We want our day to look like this now this is kind of my happy place you know it's i grew up on the central coast i i, I enjoyed that experience maybe that's why this is this looks really inviting to me just the tranquility uh, it's just ah <laughs> now for some of you that doesn't really do it for you for some of you here's your here's your you know your longing it's this some of you, I heard it. Because mm. <laughs> some of you were raised in that setting, or maybe that's just where you go, and some of your most enjoyable, relaxing moments have been in the mountains and this kind of scenery. But in reality, here's the thing. We spend most of our lives in something like this. <laughs> you know, stuck. Or for some of you, this. This. And as I look back in my life, I've had less beach settings and more running around frantically trying to make all of life work at the same time. It's felt a lot more like stuck in traffic than it has, you know, beach lawn chair. <laughs> why? And why is that? Why is life so chaotic? Why is there constant storms? Well, the big picture is the backdrop is, you know, being productive will always in this life, be opposed by sin and by its consequences. practically oftentimes people don 't fit within our schedule like we hope for. the life we live is the, the world that we live in is it 's sin infected, and so there is there is problem there are problems there are problems relationally there 's problems. You know, globally. There there are just problems. Things are unraveling. There's decaying. We feel it. We know it. We're fighting to get places and there's there's not just this peace and uh it's it's a lot more like this. Plans don't go as we expected. And then and then we get involved and the choices we make have consequences. We live in a cause and effect universe and so some of our decisions that we've sown through the years are now reaping for us a whirlwind of consequences. And so We can't go, ah, we can't escape away because there's just life. And whether you're you're currently experiencing calm or chaos, the Bible is clear about this. And I invite you to take your listening guide out. The Bible is clear about this. God is in control at all times. So regardless of the calm or the chaos, God is always in control. Now, that seems, and I want to illustrate this with a passage that's not in your listening guide. I don't want to look at Mark chapter, chapter 4, verses 35 through 40, 41. I I'd invite you to flip there in your Bible or it's going to be up here on the screen. But the story goes like this. Jesus is coming out of a chaotic time. He's in a chaotic season of life. He's He's doing ministry, basically. He's been with His disciples doing ministry. He's traveling around, ministering to crowds of people who are Trying to hear him, trying to see him. They're hoping they can catch uh, a glimpse of, of him. They're, they're following him and, and they're pressing in on Jesus and the disciples. People are wanting miracles. People that are sick are, you know, they're asking for, for him to look their way. And, and so there's all of this hustle and bustle of life and of ministry. And then the story goes like this in, in Mark 5, verses, or 4, verse 35 through 41, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, says to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. Okay, they're around this, this lake. It's actually, they're around this Sea of Galilee, okay? And they're around this body of water. Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats, and other boats were with him. So, as you can imagine, Jesus, he's setting the pace in ministry. He's helping, teaching, healing. Long, long days of ministry, night comes, and I could just imagine that everyone is pumped for some time off. Are we done, Jesus? Jesus says, let's, let's go to the other side. And they're like, yes, we get to clock out for the day. So they get into a boat to head to the other side, away from the crowds. Now, this is like the equivalent to us maybe on a mission trip with Jesus. Okay, he's the leader of our mission trip. We go, we're serving, 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 helping, 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 praying. All of this interacting, non-stop work, life, ministry. And then Jesus says, hey, I know you've been, we've been pushing hard. God's been using us. I got us some tickets to Jamaica. (laughs) We're going to hop on the plane. And we're going to go experience some tranquility and some peace away from people. We're just going to, we're just going to do that. And you, so you're, you're thinking, great, I'm heading to a destination, a retreat destination. And so you kind of exhale like, ah, we worked hard. And now this is, now you, in your life, you've been there. You've had super busy seasons of life. You've worked hard. And finally, it's time for a rest. You hit that point. But then the peaceful getaway goes a little chaotic. Okay, look at verse 37. Verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats. This, this huge windstorm rises up. This isn't just like, this isn't like the Santa Anas, you know, for us it's, ooh, it's the Santa Anas, you know. This is a huge windstorm, okay? There were these winds, they're called Sirocco winds, that, that would blow in from the Saharan, from the south. They would blow in from North Africa and blow in towards the Mediterranean, where the warm winds were from the warmer climate. The winds would come in from the south and they would descend upon, they would come into the Mediterranean region and they would stir things up. Now, the Sea of Galilee is this body of water surrounded by mountains. Okay? Surrounded by mountains. And so, when the warm winds come over the edge of the mountains and rush down towards the bottom of the sea, where there's the cool winds, everything goes crazy and chaotic. And so, it can be like a hurricane hitting the water. And so, you can research this about how the Sea of Galilee gets stirred up from these winds. But that's what happened. There was this huge windstorm rose rose up. And the mix of temperatures and the directions of the winds, everything just created chaos. And it says, and the waves... We're breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. Okay, the boat starts filling. This storm just stirs everything up so much so that the the boat starts filling up. And the disciples think, man, it's all over. It's over. We're done. This is not a cruise liner, mind you. This is not carnival. You know what I mean? There's no way this thing's going down. This is, imagine, first century boats. I mean, you know, this is rickety... Well, it may not be rickety. These were fishermen. They know how to build their boats. But this was not cruise liner. Now again, imagine this. Imagine you're getting on the plane. Because we can't put ourselves in the story here because we don't often hop on a boat to escape to the other side. What do we do? We hop on a plane and we go to the destination. So imagine again, you're on the plane. You're ready for the retreat. You get on board. You take your seat. You buckle up. And all of a sudden, you hit the most... Violent and turbulent flight of your life. You ever been in one of those? You have been in turbulence before? It scares you, doesn't it? I mean, it scares me. When it happens to me, I'm like, you know, holding on to the person next to me. Most of the time, you know, it's it's like. But if it's a stranger, you're still like, this might be this might be the end. <laughs> Things start shaking. I have a friend who he flew to the Caribbean, I think, for a science class and he says their flight it just went nuts and people that were not wearing their their belts hit the ceiling because they it just when it dropped now in those moments because we can get into that story can't we because we've been in turbulent flights before when we hit those spots where we're expecting a break we're expecting the weekend we've got our to-do list we We've reached the deadline. We've hit our savings goal. We have this expectation for peace and for enjoyment. And then what happens is we get a phone call that rocks our world. Or we get some news that just totally throws us into chaos. This has happened to many, many of you here. The storm comes. The windstorm rises up and chaos enters your life again. And it's real. There's breakups. There's hurt. There's divorce. There's death. There's... Disease. There's unexplainable things, tragedy. There's enormous bills, and sometimes the storms rise up, and the storm is all we can see in that moment. We're in, we're in the boat, or we're on the plane. All we can feel is the turbulence of the situation, and it grabs hold of our attention, and it captures our emotions, and it can feel to us like our life is over, we're done. And we start getting overwhelmed. Why? Well, because the waves, it says in this passage, the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. This crisis is really happening right now, and we can't help but freak out. And so, verse 38 says this, But he was in the stern... Now, this is Jesus, okay? They're freaking out. Now, Jesus is in the stern, asleep on the cushion. <laughs> he's, like, taking a nap. Things are going crazy, and Jesus is, you know, he's got the... Uh, you know, I don't, He wouldn't have had the first class seats, but imagine the first class seats. He's just sleeping. you know And they're freaking out. And they wake him up and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How can you just lay there and let us die? We're all going to drown. Do something. Now, I have to pause here for a moment because if they only knew who they're talking to. And when they're making this statement, do you not care that we're perishing? If they only knew how much he actually does care and what he would ultimately do with his life for a people that were perishing? Because that's the truth, is you're right, you are perishing. You know, you're a people, all of them. You're a people who are perishing without hope. If only you knew what I'm about to do, why I'm with you, what I'm going to do for all of humanity.
1: Verse 39,
0: and he awoke and he rebuked the wind. He speaks to the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So he speaks and it stops. he stops the wind and he calms the water. I find this doubly fascinating. I'll say that because I look at the miracle here and it's not just that he said, stop wind, but then he stops the effect of the wind on the water. So, you know, fluke, all of a sudden the weather stops. Okay, maybe just weather changes. No. Peace be still and he calms everything to where the wind stops, but then the effect of the wind is gone completely. Imagine this water just going crystal clear. Imagine the the airplane just totally leveling leveling out and just, you know, everything just completely settles at his rebuke. And then in verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled, it says, with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now they're filled with fear. They were afraid (laughs) when things were raging with the storm. Now it says they're filled with great fear because all of a sudden they're encountering a person whose power is far greater than the wind that they just experienced in the storm and the chaos. They're coming face to face with the one who's over all of that, who's in control at all times. God is in control at all times. Now that's amazing. He wakes up and he says three words, peace be still. What a great picture. He took control of the weather and he looked at his disciples who were surprised. They didn't realize that he could take care of them in the way that he just did. All they could see in that moment and all we often see with chaos is the storm. All we, we, it captures us. The chaos captures us. And it's all we can focus on. The, the peace was based on, in their lives, what they could see. And right then and there, it didn't look good. And so there was no peace for them. This is the same for us today. Oftentimes, we sometimes we look at our lives and all we can see is the chaos that we're in. We don't want to, but that's, but that's real. The chaos is real. The wind is real. The effects and the pain, it's real. And we, get, we can get so caught by it and, and suspended with it. And, and it feels to us like we've got to get life under control. So sometimes what we do is we start trying to manage the chaos in our life and lessen the effect of the chaos. And so depending on how you're wired, you, you get organized or you, you get focused or, or whatever, or you get more relational, but you try to manage the, the pressure in a certain way. However, what do you do when your efforts to lessen or reduce the chaos doesn't work? What do you do when the storms crash against your life and you begin to sink and capsize and water starts filling up? Here's a point here up on the list or not on the listening guide, but the key to peace is not found through avoiding the chaos, but learning to turn to God in the midst of it. This is really important. You can't escape from the chaos. Peace can come at any point in your life. Not just when we arrive at our happy destination. Peace you don't have to wait until you get there. As you dig into the Bible, what we find is that chaos and trials and storms and trouble and calamity, that is part of our life. That is part of now the human experience. Since the first man and the first woman rebelled against God and until the world is no more and Christ returns and wraps up time in human history as we know it and establishes a new earth and a new heaven and if you're in Christ, that you get to experience that. Until that place, we are face to face with storms and chaos between the fall of man and the return of Christ. This whole world that we exist in is full of storms and chaos. Now, Philippians, we're going to get to Philippians here. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, focuses on how do we find peace in the chaos. Now, Philippians 4, in the beginning, verses uh, Two and three of chapter four, I'm not going to look at those. There's some relational conflict. There was two gals that were ministry partners at one point together, and then they're in, they're like, there's a tension. They're, they're unclear in their relationship. They seem to be in a fight that's not resolved. And so Paul says, tell these ladies to get along and get back into ministry and start working productively. And then he says this, Philippians four verses four through nine. Let's read it. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord And what you've learned and received and heard and seen to me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you now these verses especially the first couple if you look back rejoice in the Lord always I'll say it again rejoice these verses seem nonsensical unless you believe there's a God who's in control of the circumstances of your life this this just seems like a a, a fairy tale kind of passage. That, that world, how do you get there? That doesn't exist. No matter what type of chaos is going on in our lives, this is thing, look, you can rejoice in the Lord. And I want to talk about why. Now, whether you're you're a struggling student or whether you're an employee struggling or whether you're an attender here and you're trying to walk with God and grow but you're battling or you're a single mom or a single dad and you're you're feeling the pressure of responsibilities and you're trying to juggle the parenting demands and other responsibilities that you're that you're trying to uh, to to wrestle down in, in in life whatever the circumstances might be he can give peace These things apply to us. I want to break this down. During the pressures of life, I trust God by choosing to first rejoice in everything. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, Paul, he just finishes describing a conflict between two ladies and he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. When the pressures of life are coming at me, whether it's a relational conflict or just a challenge that I've created when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I do not feel like rejoicing. I don't feel like throwing a party. I feel like complaining. I feel like taking a break. I want to escape away. to the. I just want to get to the beach where it's calm. I want to get out from under the pressure. I, I want to try to control what I can in my life. But one thing I don't want to do is I don't feel like rejoicing. But Paul, he's calling us to move to move forward. He's saying to move past the circumstances even and not stop there and rejoice in him. Now he's he's not calling towards like a general disconnected happy optimism. This is not happiness like Paul's saying hey be happy don't worry be happy like the song. This is not what he's saying. Sometimes the trials and the pressures of life make it almost impossible to be happy. I'm not happy when I'm in the storm and when I'm in chaos or when 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 I'm I don't I don't expect someone to be happy who is in the storm. But Paul's saying he encouraged them here to rejoice. The word rejoice it means this. To rejoice it can also mean to be glad or to take pleasure in. You might want to jot that down. Rejoicing is to be glad or to take pleasure in. In what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying rejoice in your circumstances. I say it again, rejoice. No, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. You're going through stuff. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, we experience this joy only in the Lord. If you know Him personally, then you have reason to rejoice. One day, there was a man named Martin Luther. He's a reformer from the 16th century. And God used him to help reform the church of that day. And things were not going well in the church, so he started speaking against some of the grievances that he had against the way people were moving away from the Bible and more towards their traditions. And so he wasn't a real popular guy because of that. And at one point, Martin Luther started feeling really down because people didn't like what he was saying. The leaders of the church were after him. Some of his colleagues were bickering about him, but they weren't coming and talking to him. So he'd hear third hand from people that people were complaining about him. And he felt also the heavy pressure that came along with being a professor, being a pastor, being a father, being a husband. And and so he's feeling all of this pressure in his life. And also he was in excruciating pain for many years because of kidney stones. And as he one day was moping around the house, kind of muttering underneath his breath, not feeling good, not really happy, his wife at a certain point She dressed up in funeral attire. She dressed up in black. And she announced before him in a solemn voice, God is dead. And he looked at his wife, Martin Luther looked at his wife, and with kind of puzzlement, he replied to her, God is not dead? I can't say it like in the German way, but God is not dead? And his wife went on to say, It sure seems like God is dead by the way that you're acting. And it took him back. Luther thanked his wife and he etched for himself a sign that he would put on his desk with the Latin word vivet, which means he lives. Whenever things were not going well for Martin Luther and he was tempted to complain about them, he would look at this one word and what it meant and it invigorated him because Jesus was alive and he had every reason to be upbeat in that. Now, it doesn't mean That he was thrilled about the conflict, the criticism, the pain he was in. But he would look at that and it would invigorate him. It would lift his eyes above his circumstances and allow him to rejoice in the Lord. And regardless of what's happening in our lives, our hope in him allows us to rejoice. Why? Why rejoice? Here's a few reasons. There's many. There are many. He pursued you. Rejoice. He pursued you. He loved, God loves you. Not because you did good, not because you got straight A's, not because you did all the commandments and got everything right. No, He loved you while you and I were a sinner running in a direction that was far from where He would want us to be. He paid for my and your sin and rebellion. We don't have to suffer the eternal consequences that we were heading that we were heading towards we don't have to go through life alone without his presence and power no he's with us i could go on and on and on about how if you are in christ your whole identity is different because of christ your whole future is different your whole present is different because of christ we have countless reasons to rejoice in the Lord and I'm not minimizing nor is Paul here minimizing the pain and the hurt of conflict that is arising in the church or even things that he himself experienced but this life this life here is not the end of the story we're somewhere in the middle and Jesus he rose from the dead miraculously and he shattered the eternal death sentence that awaited all of us he shattered that and we can rejoice in the Lord because He lives. And so that's why Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. This whole theme of rejoicing and joy is one of the themes you find in the book of Philippians. If you're struggling with finding joy and choosing joy, Philippians is a great book to study and to, to ask God, God, would you help me to understand this so I can begin to practice this more because life is hard. And I know of no better time than to to lean closer to that issue of rejoicing than when you're really going through it. And you're asking God, God, I need I need to choose to rejoice here, but would you help me how? Would you help me understand this? Check out the book of Philippians. It'll be a help. Secondly, I I trust God by choosing not to react or retaliate. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Now the word reasonableness is not something we would generally say here. So you can actually write the word gentleness there. Some, some places it's translated gentleness. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now our natural tendency when is to go into default mode when things are not going well. When the storm comes in, we go into default mode. For some, and that's different for all of us, for some your default mode might be to tighten down every detail of your life and try to get things under control. If you're a person that likes to be in charge of the details and in control of things and highly organized, you might be trying to ratchet down everything in those moments. For others, and when you do that, you, you can miss opportunities that come up with people because you've got a plan. And, and right now, it doesn't involve other people. So you got to be careful with that. But other people, default mode, it, it might be when chaos comes and the storm blows into your life. The default mode for you is to throw your hands up in the air and to say whatever comes to your mind. I see some heads nodding. Some, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. We all have different default modes that we're going to naturally run towards when things fall out of control. But there's a different way. We don't have to go into default mode. We can choose to remain calm and be reasonable when there's chaos. One of the things that coaches tell their athletes is to act like you've been in the situation before because you, you've been there before. We've practiced, we've trained, we've focused. You're going to get in the game. Bodies are going to be flying. People are going to be throwing themselves at you, running full steam. You've got to stay calm. In other words, don't let the big game get to you. Stay calm no matter how much pressure you're feeling in the moment. You've been there before. Be reasonable. And that's kind of what's being said here. No no matter what's coming your way, we can remain reasonable because... Why? Look at the verse. Because the Lord is at hand. This is once again lifting our sights above and beyond our circumstances and saying the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. No need to be alarmed. Jesus is near. He's in control. And then this third point, ask Him for help and experience peace and chaos. When the unexpected interrupts our day, We can become so anxious and we can start getting into worry. Look at verse 6 and 7. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. That word supplication means plea or petition. This is when you're requesting an answer to a very specific thing. Don't let the worry capture your feelings and your emotions. Turn it into a request. God This is in my mind. Would you please act in this situation? He says, Also with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So there's this peace that we can't even understand will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This, again, points us back to God being in complete control of all of our circumstances. Opportunities for worry are going to come. And when they come, we need to use those opportunities as an indicator to turn to God in prayer and ask Him for help. When you start feeling the pressure kind of rising and your anxiety start to boil and creep in, Again, turn to God. Be honest with God about what you're going through, how you're feeling, but then pray. God, God, I need to get this out of my head. Sometimes for me, if I'm all internal, I'm I'm not in good shape. I need to get it out of my head. I need to get out of just the feeling and the emotions, and I need to start talking to God about the truth. God, here's what your word says, and I believe this is true, and I will... Trust you here and now. I'll pray the scripture. Like this passage. God, you said, you know, verse 5 and 6. Or verse 6. God, you said not to be anxious about anything. I'm doing that right now, God. I feel anxious, but God, I'm not going to be anxious about this. You said I can bring this to you in prayer, and petition. That's what I'm doing right now, God. I want to experience the peace you're talking about. Would you help me to keep turning this over to you? When I pray, I, I like to pray out loud. The reason I like to pray out loud is because if I stay in my head and God hears my prayers, if I if I just talk to Him in my mind, and He can hear that prayer. But if I pray out loud, I can stay a little more focused, personally. And I'm not as easily distracted. One of the things I don't want to do, though, is I don't want to just kind of escape... To a happy place when the worry comes. I don't want to run for the beach to just take a break. No, I, I need to turn to God in prayer and I need to acknowledge that He's in control. And how I do that is I, I, I land back on the truth. This supplies the language. The Word of God supplies the words. It supplies the language. It supplies the truth. I agree with God. I declare God's truths are real. I, I'm, I'm trusting in what you're saying here, God. And I get back to whatever I need to be doing with my responsibilities. And when the worry comes back in, I I head back to prayer. I give it back to God. And as we do this, we find peace in the chaos. Peace comes, though, we may not understand through the different seasons. We have to get out of our head and out of our thoughts. We have to bring things to the Lord in prayer. This final thing. And you may have to do prayer 50, 100 times in a day for a circumstance, for a situation. And so... That's okay. He's given us a, a plan on what to do with the feelings, with the emotions. Just, he says, talk to me about it. But during some of the busiest and most difficult seasons of life, God has brought a peace in the least expected moments. He's settled things down where I realize, wow, that's amazing that God is providing this peace right now. One final choice of this is to anchor your thoughts carefully. Verses 8 and 9. Now this is a battle. This is a battle. Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I want you to circle that word, think about these things. You have to anchor and put a mental focus on the right thoughts. And then he says in verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. I wish we had more time, but we're already out of time. But if we would, I would want to linger on verse 9. Paul says, what you've learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me. He's saying, I've set an example. Paul's saying, I set you an example visually, but I've also set you an example verbally. Paul set a verbal example. They've heard some things from Paul. They've seen some things from Paul. He says, all those things you've seen and heard, Practice now circle the word practice. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So the promise here is that peace the peace comes from God as we do a few things from this passage. The peace comes from prayer, number one. The peace comes from thinking about the right things. The right things. He gives the list of what the right things are. What is honorable, right, lovely, pure, all of, those are the right things. Think about those things. And then third as we choose to put them into practice, as we choose to take those truths and work them into our lives and apply them. Now, that may sound simple. Okay, I'm just supposed to focus my thoughts here. That may sound simple, but life is less like a formula and this will be more like a battlefield for us. The struggle to think and to practice and do what is real or what is right is a real struggle. This is a battle. What's going to happen is You're going to start making some traction in your life in this area. God's going to provide some peace. But then something new will pop into your life. And you're going to have to battle again for peace in the chaos again. And we're going to have to keep turning to God with that new thing and choose not to get stuck with just our emotions and get trapped by doing things in whatever default mode we we tend to want to run to. We keep turning it over to God. And He provides the peace. I want to invite our worship team to to come up on the stage and we are pretty much out of time and so we're going to have a short song here at the end and I want to invite you to take out that connection card. On the back of that connection card you've got these next steps. These are also on your listening guide. What is something that that you realize I just need help in right now. Ask God to help me in blank. If there's something that you feel like I am, I am really stuck. I'm suspended with this circumstance. This storm is causing me to sink, and, I, and I'm, I'm going down quickly. And I need, I need some help. This is for you just to kind of communicate. This really jot down what is that area that you need to respond to God and just ask God to work in. And maybe this is the thing you're going to be asking Him a lot to work in because that's that that major area of your life secondly really thanking God for his control of blank you might be looking at the situation realizing wow I'm in the storm but God God has settled it right now God thank you for that that even in the midst of these things I just I just praise you I give I give you praise I choose to rejoice in you here and now you've been so good you've been so faithful let's pray Father thank you again for Your Word and and how it rings so true to our lives and how it challenges. I pray, Lord, right now that, that we would take these truths and apply them. Lord, as we leave, we want to be people who practice the truth. Lord, we want to know the truth for sure. We don't want to be deceived. In this life, so we need to dig into your word to understand what you're saying, but then we want to be practicing the truth. So, Lord, help us to leave and to begin the practices of prayer and scripture reading and meditating on the scripture, memorizing the scripture, but then application or help us to be practicing your truths, Lord, help us not to escape away to some default setting or default mode of dealing with pressure trying to run away from 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 the chaos Lord we're in chaos this this life is full of it so Lord help us to know how to approach the chaos we constantly find ourselves in so that we can keep making progress in, in the ways that you would want Lord would you bless the offering would you bless each person here Lord and would you continue to remind us of your close presence help us to, to be able to say The Lord is at hand. And to live in light of that. Thank you for these truths. In Jesus' name we pray.